Out Socialists, a podcast produced by Speak Out Now. We are a revolutionary socialist group. Our website is speakoutsocialist.org. You can find us on Facebook at Speak Out Now or on Instagram and Twitter at Rev Socialists. These are the reports from the week of August 12th. As millions lose their jobs, politicians disagree on the crumbs to give workers. For months, Democrats and Republicans in Congress have taken turns stalling the passage of any new round of relief for unemployed workers, while unemployment has continued to skyrocket. Both parties continued their stalling tactics, even when the $600 weekly federal stimulus for the unemployed expired at the end of July. Each party has blamed the other for these delays in order to appear to be on the side of working people. Even though this is a tiny amount of money compared to the trillions of dollars given to banks and corporations during this period, for many working families, it can determine whether or not there's food on the table or there is enough to pay the rent. Now Trump has jumped in from the podium of his luxury golf course to pretend to save the day for workers and the poor and try to save himself from his decline in the polls. He has signed some pathetic executive orders promising stimulus funds but his order only provides an additional $400 in weekly unemployment benefits. And this time, the federal government will only supply $300 of this amount, while the states have to put in the additional $100. Many states may not cover the $100 because state budgets are starting to run out of money as so many workers are out of work and not paying income taxes. When asked why the stimulus was so low, Trump, echoing several members of Congress, said that anything higher would not provide people with an incentive to go back to work. Trump signed three other executive orders, all with the same goal of posturing as if he's on the side of working people. One order freezes the payroll tax on workers making less than $8,000 per month until an unspecified date in the future. This is the 7.65% tax taken out of workers' paychecks to pay into Social Security and Medicare. This is just a temporary tax cut that workers will have to pay back later, most likely after the November elections. And it's not as if having that money taken out in one lump sum in the future would be of any help to workers. Rather than extending the federal moratorium on evictions that expired last month, another order proposes that government agencies consider ways to keep people in their homes. It offers no financial relief and no official ban on evictions. A real joke. An estimated 12 million renters who've fallen behind on their payments could face eviction while government agencies consider what to do. Trump's final order waives all interest on student loans held by the federal government through the end of 2020. None of the debt is to be forgiven, and the full payment minus the interest is still due on December 31st. Given how many people have lost their jobs, it's not clear how they will have the money to pay at the end of the year. At the same time, it's not even clear whether 
Trump's executive orders will be carried out because they will likely face further legal challenges, since Congress is supposed to be the only governing body to approve federal funding of this sort. The real goal of these orders is for Trump to appear to be helping people, despite the fact that his administration has spent the last few months completely failing to do what was necessary to contain the spread of the virus, while the economic crisis that's resulted shows no end in sight. Meanwhile, last week, another 1.19 million people filed for unemployment benefits. Since mid-March, over 55 million people have filed for unemployment benefits, the highest of any previous five-month period. The reason workers aren't returning to work is not because they've been receiving too much relief, as Trump and others have suggested. People aren't returning to work because they don't have jobs to return to. As Democrats and Republicans posture for votes in the upcoming election, they have no problem using workers' lives as bargaining chips in their political poker games. Even if Trump's executive orders go through, there's no telling when we will actually see any of this money. And since both parties have already delayed offering relief for so long, all they've done is made a horrible situation even worse. The truth is, none of them, neither Democrats nor Republicans, are on the side of working people. When banks and corporations request relief funds and tax breaks, trillions of dollars can be made available at any time. But when it comes to the millions of working people who've been cast into misery from the impact of this pandemic, suddenly there's no money to be found. New Jersey Public Transit. It should be free. As August began in New Jersey, we were once again forced to pay for transit. Since late March, as the pandemic spread, the New Jersey Transit bus drivers realized how vulnerable they and their passengers were to COVID-19. Riders were allowed to get on buses through the back door and wait for it, ride for free. For these past four months, riders have actually been given a break from paying to go to jobs they probably don't like and don't get paid enough to do. But on August 1st, after having finally installed plastic protective panes between the drivers and the fare box, the fares came back. We pay $1.65 per trip, $3.30 round trip, on buses where a virus might still be present and with fewer seats than ever, since the four to six closest to the driver are still chained off. This situation is not safe for the passengers, but the fare is once again required. For four months, we got a glimpse of how things could be different. We could have free transportation for all, but that's not how the capitalists want it. They not only want to exploit our labor for their profit, they want us to pay for our own unsafe transportation on the way there. Let's change the system. Let's make a new world where the public actually matters. U.S. shows workers can return to work safely if they are NBA players. The National Basketball Association, along with the millionaires and billionaires who own the teams and the mega corporations that invest in sponsorship, all decided that too much money would be lost if the NBA season was not able to resume. So they told the health experts to organize the safest way for basketball players to finish out the season. And after spending about $200 million, it is working. The NBA has taken over the Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida. Upon arrival, all players, coaches, staff, and reporters were immediately tested for COVID-19, then isolated in their own individual hotel rooms until they tested negative two days in a row. 
At that point, they were allowed to roam around the facility but could not leave the protected resort area. Everyone was given a $300 aura ring, a titanium ring with biometric sensors that continuously monitor a person's body temperature, heart rate, oxygen level, and more. The ring can scan for a possible immune system reaction. Health experts believe this ring can catch any signs of possible infection very early on. Additionally, players are tested every single day and test results are back within 24 hours. Masks are worn throughout the facility. Areas of the facility are sectioned off with temperature monitoring checkpoints. Everyone who works inside the facility is tested daily and provided with protective equipment. Essentially, any sign of possible infection can be immediately identified and proper isolation can be carried out in order to minimize the risk of infection. Players were allowed to opt out of participation and still receive most of their pay. Any player with medical conditions that put him at a greater risk of a severe case of COVID-19 has been exempted from participating with no cut in pay. The facility has been in operation for over a month with all 22 participating teams and staff present. Official games resumed on August 1st. So far, no one has tested positive for the virus. This is not a surprise. It is no mystery what kind of precautions are necessary to reduce the spread of the virus. All of these precautions have been carried out, not because the NBA is a truly essential industry that people need to survive, nor has it been carried out so sports fans can still have something to look forward to during the pandemic. No. The only reason this monumental reorganization of basketball has taken place is because the NBA was going to lose over a billion dollars in revenue if the season did not resume. Meanwhile, most workers in the U.S. haven't even been tested once, let alone tested every day before going to work. If we do get tested, the results can take up to two weeks, at which point they are totally useless. Most workers can't even get an N95 mask or eye protection, so forget about a $300 aura ring. And workers in high-risk categories have just been treated like everyone else. Show up to work or lose your job. It's great that NBA players have been able to resume their work safely, taking into account every possible precaution to keep them healthy. And that's how it should be for all workers. Capitalism, a filthy system. Filthy Rich, a new docuseries on Netflix, uncovers the horrifying story of financier Jeffrey Epstein's extensive underage sex trafficking. This story isn't simply a salacious true crime story. It's a story about the moral depravity of the ruling class and the capitalist system itself. Jeffrey Epstein worked on Wall Street, where he developed ties to the global elite. Using his wealth and position, he lured teenage girls, sometimes as young as 12 years old, to his various homes to sexually assault them through the 90s, up until his arrest in 2019. Beyond simply assaulting young girls himself, he ran a ring of underage sex trafficking for global elites. He even owned a private island where underage girls were trapped and abused by Epstein's high-profile visitors. Bill Clinton and other politicians have been confirmed visitors of the island. The list of his circle of friends is long and also includes President Donald Trump, Prince Andrews, and countless others. Epstein's political links were far and wide, and they served to protect him when women came forward to prosecute him over the decades. 
The political establishment was so bent on protecting him that when the first woman called the FBI to report him, nothing was done and they conveniently lost the report. When many women came forward and an investigation was launched in 2008, his charges were reduced to minor sex offenses, despite bountiful evidence of the girls being underage when they were assaulted, a deal made possible only because of his connections. After being convicted, he only served 13 months in jail, where he was allowed to leave his cell up to 12 hours a day. As the saying goes, money corrupts, but more so, the system of capitalism breeds and fosters this kind of moral depravity. Money can buy anything, including the kinds of horrors that Epstein concocted, and that other rich people like him either partook in or turned a blind eye to. Epstein intentionally recruited and preyed on working-class girls who were lured in with promises of fame or fortune and then threatened with the extent of Epstein's wealth and connections to keep them from speaking out. Capitalists all over the world flew to or knew about his island. They also abused these girls or were complicit in their abuse. It was all permissible to them because we live in a society where a ruling elite do what they want because money and power allow them to. Under capitalism, money determines what is acceptable. Its holders rule the world and money rules society. The result is a world where working in poor people's lives mean nothing. They are simply pawns or playthings of the ruling elite. This shouldn't be seen as the problem of one rich, detestable man. It's a problem of our whole society, another symptom of capitalism, a system which needs to go. Beirut Explosion, another example of the ruling class's contempt for human life. On Tuesday, August 4th, the people of Beirut, Lebanon, suffered a horrific accident. A single massive chemical explosion at the port killed at least 154 people and injured 5,000. Immediately, hospitals were overrun with patients, while some of the city's hospitals were themselves too damaged by the explosion to take patients. It is too soon to know the full repercussions of the devastation, but entire sections of the city were leveled. The port was completely destroyed, along with large sections of the city's downtown business district. Grain silos containing 85% of the country's grain were severely damaged. The epicenter of the explosion was a warehouse containing over 3,000 tons of ammonium nitrate, a highly explosive industrial chemical used as a fertilizer and a mining explosive. It has been stored there for over six years. This is at least the sixth time in modern history that a large quantity of unsafely stored ammonium nitrate has caused a massive lethal explosion, and the third time in under a decade. Similar horrific accidents have occurred in the U.S., Europe, and China. None of these accidents had to happen. For well over a century, we have known the dangers of storing large amounts of ammonium nitrate. Experts know perfectly well what precautions are necessary to manage this chemical without putting lives at risk. And yet, here we are again. There's mounting evidence that the local officials had been aware of the risks associated with the warehouse at the port of Beirut. What we see in Beirut is yet another example of the ruling class's contempt for human life. Last year, some massive upheavals in Lebanon as an entire generation rose up together in opposition to high unemployment, lack of basic services, and government corruption. These upheavals caused their prime minister to resign in October, 
But the protests only continued as so many young people have completely lost faith in elites to run the country in the interests of the general population, regardless of which politicians are in government. The people of Lebanon have provided us with an inspirational example of unity and class struggle. Their struggle is our struggle, as we are one global working class facing the same global capitalist system that plays dice with our lives. Whether it's in times of upheaval or in times of severe strife, we must stand in solidarity with the people of Lebanon and condemn capitalism's contempt for human life. The NLRB shows which side it's on. As the public health crisis has brought on huge challenges to working people, the poor, and their families, it has provided a rationale for employers to strengthen their hand against workers. Ackerman's HR Defense Blog, a blog that gives employers news about how laws impact their dealings with labor, explained for its clients how the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, would be dealing with the labor matters during this crisis. The NLRB has a division of advice, or advice for short. This is a think tank in which their lawyers make policy, which they usually keep secret. Advice's first policy statements on the COVID-19 pandemic and the workplace came out in July 15th. It made public five letters of guidance for employers. According to the Ackerman's HR Defense blog, in an article written by Dana N. Berber on July 28, 2020, the NLRB ruled that employers can, quote, unilaterally alter job conditions including the employer's remote work and attendance policies, without approval from its union, during emergencies such as COVID-19, so long as its actions are reasonably related to the emergency situation. And also, advice held that a nursing services contractor did not violate any labor law when it unilaterally laid off employees in response to COVID-19-related school closures, unquote. Regarding the right of union activists to visit workers at work, the NLRB feels that employers should be able to, quote, prohibit immediate and unrestricted access to union representatives who wish to enter the site. Advice held that the employers acted reasonably in denying access due to the safety concerns of the COVID-19 pandemic and its spread, unquote. The NLRB is an agency that is part of the capitalist state and unsurprisingly defends the interests of the bosses the vast majority of the time. Workers should be clear to never depend on it for help. If the board does rule on the side of the workers, it either is placating an important section of the union bureaucracy in order to ensure its continued allegiance to the capitalist class, or is genuinely afraid of what the working class is capable of if it rules against them. Pro-Big Business CDC facilitates a more swift return to work. On July 20th, the CDC, or Center for Disease Control and Prevention, issued new recommendations for a return to work. Initially, it recommended that viral tests be used to determine whether an employee is safe to return to work. Now it recommends looking at symptoms to decide when employees can return to work. Why this change from a test-based return to a symptom-based return, when we know that not all infected individuals who spread the virus show symptoms. For those who test positive for COVID-19, 
the CDC lessen the amount of time before they can stop isolating at home and therefore get back to work. The number of days home isolation is required went from 14 days to 10 days, and the number of hours that must have passed since the last fever subsided went from 72 to 24 hours. Initially, it specifically said respiratory symptoms must have improved, but now the CDC has removed respiratory from the list of symptoms that must have improved, again, meaning more people will qualify to go back to work sooner. Again, why are they doing this? The CDC is the main federal agency issuing recommendations and guidelines regarding COVID-19 to the U.S. government, business, and other institutions. It is not neutral. It serves the major institutions of U.S. capitalism. That is why its recommendations have to be taken with a grain of salt, and it's also why guidelines change according to the political objectives of the U.S. ruling class, the banks and corporations. Since it is increasingly clear that the economic crisis triggered by shelter-in-place and other safety measures is extremely severe, the capitalists are afraid of the hit that their economic system is taking, with production and consumption stalling, the economy shrinking, and profits declining. Since the U.S. ruling class wants to preserve profits, whatever the cost to life, there is a determined push from the government to get people back to work regardless of the danger. This is what is behind the murderous push to reopen schools. We have seen horrible outbreaks in other countries that opened before the virus was eliminated, as well as the new CDC recommendations from July 20th. A positive change for working people is that the CDC has now admitted that person-to-person spread of COVID-19 also happens through talking or raising one's voice, such as when shouting, chanting, or singing not just via respiratory droplets produced when an infected person coughs or sneezes, as they had thought before. This is why cloth face coverings in public settings, especially when social distancing measures are impossible to maintain, are so important. Although the CDC has many competent scientists and generates useful information, its guidelines have to be seen through the lens of the capitalist-owned society we live in. It will not contradict the interests of the system it serves. A truly trustworthy pandemic response and guidelines cannot come from a capitalist government and its agencies. That will only come from a government created by and for working people and the poor. Speak Out Now is a revolutionary socialist organization. Our website is speakoutsocialists.org. You can find us on Facebook at Speak Out Now or on Instagram and Twitter at RevSocialists. We want to thank Boots Riley and The Coup for letting us use their song Get Up featuring Dead Prez. Thanks for listening.